We are reading from the book of Joel, and you can find it on page 914 if you wish to follow it in the Pew Bibles, starting top left-hand corner. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. It's good to be here again. In fact, I was preaching here exactly a year ago this Sunday. I checked the laptop. 23rd of April 2022. I was preaching on a passage from Luke. And this is how I started. When Hannah Green asked me if I was available to preach today, I said, yes, no problem. It's something I enjoy. However, although Hannah told me what today's reading was, I wish that I actually read it before agreeing to talk on it. And when I started to think about today's reading, I felt exactly the same. But it's not too bad a passage to preach on. So over the next 20 minutes or so, let's think about the role of the Holy Spirit in mission, this week's topic across the LMA, using Joel's words as a frame for this. But first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to come to listen to your word, to pray, and to worship you in song again this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to what you are saying to us. Bless us individually and as a church family as we spend some time thinking about this passage and the role of Holy Spirit in mission. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Those who've studied the book of Joel have described it as, and I quote, both powerful and puzzling and as a fascinating little book. And it is. It's easy to miss after, you know, coming as it does after the big hitters, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Though it's true to say that with its three chapters, it's three times the size of Obadiah. So a bit of context first. Who was Joel? We know from the first verse of the chapter that he's the son of Pethuel. But beyond that, we don't know a great deal. We don't really know when the book was written. But we do know, and we'll see later on, that he was familiar with many of the other scriptures. 
Joel was one of several prophets called by God to deliver a message of warning and repentance to the southern kingdom of Judah. And experts think he was called around the year 835 BC. And although Joel is considered one of the minor prophets, there's nothing minor or insignificant about his ministry and his message. By the time Joel was called to minister to Judah, it had been in a state of disarray and decline for years, both economically and spiritually. We can see in the first chapter of Joel that the land was, the book, the, the, the book says, the fields are ruined, the ground is dried up, the grain is destroyed, the new wine is dried up, the olive oil fails and goes on, the vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate, the palm, the apple tree, all of the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away, writes Joel. And then there's a call to lament, to express regret for what had happened to the nation because Joel goes on to, to warn the people that worse could come, the imminent disaster on the day of the Lord. And this idea of the day of the Lord is a key theme here. God's appointed time to judge the nations. The last and final judgment on evil and sin and a final reward for faithful believers. And then in chapter 2, the images are distressing. And the verses build on each other in musical terms like a rising crescendo. Just read some of them. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. And so it goes on with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. The Lord thunders at the head of the army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? And that's you know, where we reach that question. And then... In verse 12 of the second chapter, there's a shift, a change. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. There is hope. There's a chance for all those who repent, who return to God to be saved not in a superficial way, not in a way in a sense that just gives lip service to God, but see verse 13, rend your heart and not your garments. That repentance must be more than just a show to try and get out of trouble. God wants to see real change. All who truly repent will be united forever with God. Judgment and mercy go hand in hand. If people repent, God will forgive. He doesn't want to destroy. He wants to heal and save. 
even in such adverse conditions in the kind of nation that these people are living God is there offering them offering us a chance to redeem themselves ourselves judgment can be averted verse 13 again return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love and he relents from sending calamity this idea of being slow to anger abounding in love is perfectly put in Henry Francis Light's hymn praise my soul the king of heaven praise my soul praise him for his grace and favor to his people in distress praise him still the same forever slow to chide and swift to bless and Joel then says that God takes pity on the land and the people will defeat the invaders restore the land he will make his presence known to the people then we come to the reading today the reading that Don uh, read and it'll be very familiar because this is the passage that, that Peter quoted in his sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2 16 to 21 up until now Joel has explained how Israel's sin has led to disaster and judgment then that God's mercy creates hope as always and explains how to repent and why to repent and now we come to God's response and there are three elements to this I think there is first of all the pouring of the spirit on all people then the showing of wonders in heaven and earth the day of the Lord and thirdly the hope of redemption now I'm going to focus on the first and the third of these for the rest of the talk I don't really feel equipped to talk about judgment day it raises some very challenging questions so I shall leave that to our clergy. A bit of a chicken, really. Maybe one day. So, we read of a wondrous promise from God to pour out his spirit on all people. This notion of pouring of spirit echoes what many of the other major prophets foretold. Isaiah tells Jerusalem of being abandoned and deserted till the spirit is poured on us from on high. That's Isaiah 32, 15. And then, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Isaiah 44, 3. Jeremiah talks of a new covenant between God and the people of Israel. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then Ezekiel, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This pouring of the spirit is transformative and empowering. And I just want to pause and think about this idea of pouring. It's a wonderful idea. Now, I don't often eat out at posh hotels or restaurants, certainly not since the kids arrived, but even before then, there have been occasions when I may have gone. And, you know, maybe sat there and the waiting staff offer, put, uh, not pudding, dessert. And they may offer cream or custard or juice or something. And you're left staring at the bowl and plate thinking, is that it? Now this is speaking of someone who will potentially drown a piece of apple pie or jam sponge in custard. 
as you can tell. As I was preparing for today, one source I read put it like this. The giving of the Holy Spirit is not just a stingy, inconsequential trickle. I love that. The giving of the Holy Spirit is not just a stingy, inconsequential trickle. A little tiny bit of single cream in a swirl on a plate. That's not. It's poured on us. And when you pour something onto something else, it can get drenched. And how wonderful to be drenched by the Holy Spirit. William Reese's hymn, Damagariad Velamoroid, Love is Vast, Here is Love, Vast as the Ocean Talks, in a way about God's love and grace flowing being poured on us too. Grace and love like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. Incessant, without pause, without interruption, pouring on us. Ah, wonderful. If you look at definitions as well of what pouring is in dictionaries, and what an exciting life I lead to do that, um, then you'll often see this idea of something being poured, something flowing from one container, from something to another container. Not just hitting something randomly, but almost a targeted flow. So the Holy Spirit is pouring both on us, but also into us. This pouring of the Holy Spirit is visible, generous, widespread. It's worth noting as well in this passage that the Spirit will be poured out on all people. Status, gender, educational attainment, wealth, none of this matters. Sons, daughters, the young the old servants, the Holy Spirit is for all. Why is this important? I think if you go back to the time of, of Moses, uh, Numbers 11, verse 29, records at the time when the Spirit came down on 70 of Israel's elders and they started prophesying and then others started. And then the uh, book of Numbers says, uh, the Joshua, son of Nun, asked Moses to stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all, the, that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. In the past, God's spirit would be available only perhaps to kings, prophets, judges. Now, Joel envisions a time when the spirit would be available to every believer, available to everybody who calls in the name of the Lord, everyone who gives their life to the Lord. If this is the case, then what Joel is saying is that whilst in the past God used mediators, prophets, for example, to relate his word to people, now there will be direct and unmediated relationship available to all who give their lives to him. And the Spirit, far from being an invisible force or some strange psychic energy, is God himself. We worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in ones. God gives himself in the Holy Spirit. And if we have this in our mission, then how can we fail? The Holy Spirit, as we know from the book of Acts, drove the mission of the early church. The history is all there. The Spirit descended on the disciples. The miracle, they spoke in tongues, they went. They spread the wonderful news of Jesus. 
spirit guided and still guides our mission work, the way in which we tell others of the love of God, of his mercy, of his grace. What's the thing you talk about most? Your car? Your job? Your spouse, partner? Your children or your last holiday? Maybe it's the latest television series. What's the um, succession? Everyone asks me if I've seen succession. I, 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 I shouldn't confess that really, in, given what I do from day to day. Why do we do it? Why do we, why do we talk about things a lot? I guess it's because we want everyone to enjoy what we've enjoyed. You know, you've seen this television series, so you want somebody else to enjoy it. And you've driven this kind of car, and oh, it's a great car, you should get one. We want everyone else to have that same excitement that we've experienced, that same thrill and pleasure. We need to do the same with Jesus. We need to share the excitement that we've experienced from our relationship with him. We need to let others know, oh, we can do that, filled with the Spirit. Those who receive God's Spirit shouldn't keep it hidden. We should be talking about it in work with friends, sharing the good news, and that's our mission. Coming to an end, I realize I probably mistimed it, so I'm afraid it's it's shorter than usual. But the final thing I wanted to say is that for God's people today, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is is a taste of Christ's kingdom, the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns. For those who turn from sin, have that wonderful relationship with God, rend their hearts and not their garments, then the day of the Lord is a day to be anticipated, not with terror, but with great joy. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who receive God's spirit, those who respond to God in faith are saved because of Jesus' sacrifice. Until that day comes, we know that the Holy Spirit is central to our mission, that it's the energizing force, that it's God himself with us. And you know what? If we have him on our side, if we have him with us and within us, then we can do great things. Amen.